Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man, the best podcast to break down hard-hitting dialogue, such as, come on, Nelson, don't play dumb. Who else can stick to walls like this? Uh, the Black Widow, the Fly, the Beatles, are Foggy, <laughs> I think it's Spider-Man in a silly outfit. Give the lady a biscuit. Here to provide analysis for all those lines, and so much more, is my friend Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? Oh, man, James B., I bought a dining room table. I actually sold my old car today. I went out to breakfast, I went to dinner, but that's still not as many things as we're going to do today. We got a lot of books, right? Five or six this podcast, for sure. Yeah. But you didn't break down my whole segment there with Foggy Nelson and... (laughs) Spider-Man and whichever female is in the room. You know, you may have noticed I avoided it. There were there were a lot of quotes that were in there, and uh, let's see, Foggy Nelson, he must be commenting to Daredevil. I can't remember who the Black Widow and the Beetle about sticking to walls. This is tantalizing podcasting. Let's just go to the <laughs> let's just go to the book that actually has Daredevil and this quote in it. That book is from May of 1984. Stanley presents Marvel Team Up 141, featuring Spider-Man and Daredevil in Blind Justice. Written by Tom DeFalco and Jim Owsley. Art by Greg LaRocque and Mike Esposito. Picking up from Marvel Team Up 140, Matt Murdock is still trying to get his client free, but the criminal who Spider-Man captured at the end of that book, Eddie, provided the murder weapon. And... also appears to be innocent. So this book focuses on the new pawn shop owner trying to employ street criminals to give them a chance to change as the Black Widow thinks one of them has to be the killer. While Daredevil goes to the Kingpin's man, the Arranger, to negotiate a deal with the Kingpin's help, the new pawnbroker confesses to the crime and although the innocent go free and the guilty go to jail, Spider-Man is upset that Daredevil and the Kingpin work together. Notable moment, as the book ends, Daredevil and Natasha have a deep talk while Spider-Man wonders, why has no one said anything about my new suit? Uh, I'm very glad to see Matt Murdock was able to free his client. He knew he was innocent. It's a hard task that he pulled off, and he's a man of his word. But I I also got to agree with Spider-Man here. He's not very happy that Daredevil is making deals with the Kingpin. I think Daredevil is consistently poo-pooed like by the Avengers and such, but he has so many other people that he could bring in, you know, the Fantastic Four, to make sure that he doesn't have to work with the kingpin of crime. It, it does set up a nice conflict for the future, I guess. This book has a lot of people in it between like Daredevil and the Black Widow and Daredevil's crew. It has a little bit of a mystery to it. It has ties to the previous story so there is a little bit of a flashback but it i don't know i really like this book i never owned this book i don't think there's any part i didn't enjoy about that book uh let's see if i feel the same about this next book it's from june of 1984 stanley presents marvel team 142 featuring spider-man and captain marvel in foiled by micheline laroque and esposito let's read spider-man sponsor roxon corporation don't forget roxon uh (laughs) for your, all your life needs, uh, has a breakthrough with Technofoil. It's a type of metal. But some orange and green dressed evil agents show up in an effort to steal this expensive compound. The gun-toting costume agents take the material and vanish into thin air. Captain Marvel has a similar experience at a museum, 
but she stops a rare stone from being taken. Eventually, the agents do get the stone, and we learn someone is building a population control device kind of with the same logic as Thanos. Mm. Uh, this device messes with Captain Marvel, making it hard for her to change out of her light form. Spider-Man turns the device on itself, and it destroys itself. Notable moment. For six panels, a giant monster attacks Butler Jarvis at Avengers headquarters, nearly killing the flailing helpless man each time. <laughs> Poor Jarvis. Well, I noticed that this machine is called the... P-R-I-D-E with periods in between pride machine. Uh, it even generates dimensions in different colors. I really wanted this to be some sort of coded LGBTQ uh, thing going on, but it doesn't appear to be one. It is, it's really good to see Captain Marvel too. She's a great character. I, I don't have a ton of criticism for this book, actually, because we have the Roxanne Corporation there. There's goons with curious teleportation power. Captain Marvel has legitimate trouble here, and Spider-Man saves the day, almost. Uh, I guess I would appreciate the mad scientist uh, was a little more well-known. Maybe Ludwig von or Ludwig Reinhardt <laughs> is available next time around for Marvel Team-Up. I don't know. <laughs> when he's not busy making our Tink Bump toys, you mean? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> our next book is from July of 1984. Stanley presents Marvel Team-Up 143 featuring Spider-Man and Star Fox in Shifts and Planes by Micheline LaRocque and Esposito. Eddie, Avengers trainee Star Fox volunteers Spider-Man to join him in an interdimensional mission to fix Captain Marvel. In his new world, two Mad Max factions, the Elysian and the Mako, I think is how you pronounce these, <laughs> I think are fighting. Yeah, yeah. One is led by attractive women, helping commoners. They're clearly the good guys. Uh, Star Fox volunteers Spider-Man to fight the leader of the bad guys. After a big battle, Spider-Man wins, and the good guys thank Star Fox and Spider-Man by destroying the machine that was causing Captain Marvel to stay in light form. The heroes return back to our dimension, where once again, a human Captain Marvel awaits. Notable moment, all the pretty girls love Star Fox, and only one little tween named Tambi likes Spider-Man. Oh, what a book. There's cosmic interdimensional space travel. Uh, it's got to be a Marvel team up, right? Embrace the wildness and speed in which this title moves, James B. Uh, I, you didn't mention the bad guy's name. It's Will Killer. It, it's hilariously great. My only question is, is he killing my will or will he kill me? Which one do you think it was, James B.? <laughs> Uh, there was a reason why I didn't mention it. <laughs> I think he's killing my will uh, because this book suffers from the same problems that wild Marvel team-ups so often do. There's just so much new ex story to explain. It'd be better if we had a few uh, less characters, new characters for sure, that come from places that aren't so cosmic and interdimensional because it takes up a lot of the book to talk about these different tribes that we're probably never going to see again. That's a that's great analysis, Eddie. You're really uh, you're having a great job with this book. Oh, thank you. I think I think we should mix things up real quick and give you an opportunity for something I like to call. Does Eddie know this character from the MCU? <laughs> Eddie, 
I'm going to help you out on this one here. <laughs> Thank goodness. Star Fox only appears in an MCU movie at the end. And I'm even going to tell you what movie it is. <laughs> Hold on. I'm giving okay. you a chance. Eddie, it's in a movie called The Eternals. Have you ever heard of the movie? I know this movie, but I have not seen it. So, <laughs> so at the end of the movie, The Eternals, Star Fox makes an appearance. Now, here is the question for you. Star Fox, because it's just like a little cameo, he is portrayed by an actor Ooh. who has appeared in films, but is more readily known as being the standout star of a boy band. Okay. So I want you to think of current boy bands and think of like the big main star of that boy band who's also been an actor. Oh. And tell me, who do you think oh. they have playing Star Fox? Ah, James B., you, you've really ventured me into two realms I know so well, boy bands and Marvel movies. <laughs> the latter being, I'm better at it. <laughs> have you ever seen the movie Dunkirk? Yes, I have. I have seen that movie. Have the, have the Jonas Brothers come back around? Is it a Jonas Brother? And right now, all the <laughs> listeners are screaming... They're screaming, no, Eddie, it's not. No, the the actor from Dunkirk, who's also a lead singer of a band called One Direction, oh. is Harry Styles. <laughs> Harry Styles you plays know. Star Fox. I knew those guys. They've been around a long time. I, it's okay. Well, Eddie, thank you for it's playing. Okay. Does Eddie know this character from the MCU? James B., I, I just love that segment so much, James B. Let me... Get us out of it into our next book, okay? <laughs> yes, we should go to the next book. But one thing I want to tell you, which is even good news for you, is you commented about the previous book that it would be better if there were not so many new characters and characters um, that had to be explained. This next book does have characters that we already know. So hopefully you enjoyed as much as I did. And that book is from August of 1984. Stanley presents Marvel Team Up 144, featuring Spider-Man and Moon Knight in My Sword I Lay Down by Carrie Burkett, Micheline LaRoque, and Esposito. Once again, we have a Let's Read Spider-Man sponsor. This time it's White Dragon. He's killed a friend of Moon Knight. The enemy of the White Dragon is known as the Tiger Claw Gang, and they want ESU graduate Philip Chang to stop ignoring his martial arts gifts and lead them against the White Dragon. Wu Fong pleads with Philip Chang. But Philip still says no. Eddie Phillips' leadership potential is discovered by the White Dragon and Spider-Man and Moon Knight. And they all get involved in this big fight. But Philip refuses to fight. He gets captured and he still refuses Wu Fang's offer. White Dragon is discovered to be a puppet of... The Kingpin. That's right, he's in every single Spider-Man storyline now. Spider-Man safely removes a bomb by tossing it away. And Moon Knight defeats White Dragon. Noble moment. Philip Chang's parents died. Why are you laughing? This isn't, this isn't funny. Oh, my. In China in an attack meant for him. Oh, my. James B. <laughs> That's a somber ending for a book that White Dragon has a new outfit in. I'm very happy to see this since before it, he looked like... You know, like one of those creatures uh, Captain Kirk would run into in an early Star Trek. He only looks slightly re less ridiculous, though. It, it could be my bias, but 
Moon Knight is not one of my because Moon Knight is not one of my favorite characters. He just doesn't fit into the Spider-Man lexicon super well right now, in my opinion. He, he gives me vibes like Cloak from Cloak and Dagger, and Cloak is a character that we could really use more complexity and development. So he's always kind of coming back and tangling with Kingpin or Kingpin factions. That's who I'd rather see than Moon Knight, but in a book like this, maybe we just don't really want to see it too much, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Moon Knight feels wedged into the story. It could have been anybody who knew anybody there. But hold on. Are we bearing the lead here? We are. Philip Chang has always been this martial arts expert who's been chosen to lead this organization, the Tiger Claws, in this big battle. And meanwhile, he's out there, you know, doing homework next to Peter Parker. Like, what? Right? Right. And his parents were killed... An attack that was meant for him. They're like, we must assassinate Philip Chang, and his parents are just collateral damage. That's crazy. It's a real, real tough backstory. We knew he had a lot of trauma. Like even from the first minute that Peter knew him, he was clearly having trouble just maintaining himself. So it's too bad that this history is coming back at him, the criminal under you know ring. Yeah. Well, we've had criminals in court in our first book. Then we had. Uh, Rocks on the big corporation there getting ripped off and space <laughs> aliens and travel to outer space to face Mad Max people. And now we've taken it all the way to Chinatown. Let's see where this fifth book takes us. It's from September of 1984. Stanley presents Marvel Team Up 145 featuring Spider-Man and Iron Man in Hometown Boy by Isabella LaRocque and Esposito at a convention for engineers and inventors in Cleveland. Mark Scarlatti is hoping to score an engineering job after being thwarted by Iron Man in his previous supervillain iterations. Mark's mom says that she and his dad really don't want to see him anymore. And it seems that the Cleveland Magia don't want him around either. Basically, things aren't going well for him. Eventually, he gets one Magia request to take out a computer whiz, so he decides to don his Backlash costume and his electric whip or nunchuck things and after a short battle, James Rhodes as Iron Man stops him. <laughs> the book ends with the supervillain delusional that either his mom or the New York Magia are coming to his aid, and neither do. Notable moment, Spider-Man makes an appearance in this issue. <laughs> How could you not like this book, James B? It has the Meatballs back boys. Guess again, Ponytail. To slice Iron Man into paper clips, and at the very end, the last slide, James B. Mom will be so proud of me. <laughs> uh, it was the original Frogman from Marvel Team Ups one thirty one. Uh, this was the one with the White Rabbit, if you remember, James B. Uh, where we got a villain's perspective, and even though it turned out Daddy Frogman wasn't really a villain, it was interesting. I thought, but that book only had a small portion about Frogman, and particularly with a D-level villain like Backlash, it is super uninteresting to learn about him. I don't know. Something about the Kingpin or like if we had followed around the younger Frogman, that would have been significantly more interesting. This is my favorite book so far. Absolutely no question. I'm not even saying this what? to create... What? <laughs> this was the best book. I don't need... 
I get it. Daredevil is is a is a lawyer. Whoopie doo, they solved the murder. Yippee doo. I don't need people flying around in cosmic space. Boring, boring, boring. Okay. The White <laughs> Dragon book, oh, I admit, that puts up a good fight. Unlike Philip Chang, who put up no fight at all. That was an okay <laughs> he story. Doesn't want to fight. <laughs> but this book is so interesting. It's it's one of those like you know learning the red shirts from Star Trek or oh Eddie this I, I, if you look at this book from a perspective of what's it like to be a supervillain like really not just the oh now I'm gonna go stop the world this is a great book this guy I mean he's trying to get a regular job in the book and in the end he still is delusional oh this was so good this is this is how all supervillains really are inside I I came away from this thinking like now I understand supervillains so much better I'm not even joking it's I know crazy. you're laughing this I, book is I, the best book it sounds like you're lying completely to me I mean <laughs> I am not there's seeds here where he like. Uh, things happen to him that we would think any supervillain might be angry about. I've said many times, like, when society wrongs you. And here's these two guys, even as him as an adult, are, like, pouring uh, water on his head in a cafeteria that they were in. He's just he's getting wronged all over the place. But it's so cliche. It's, it's just what we could assume happens to all supervillains when but they become supervillains. But there's no one. There's no other books like this. No one takes the time to actually uh. say this is what really happens. It always seems to work out really good, or they're just let out of jail on good behavior. <laughs> Kudos to Isabella for writing the story. I'm sorry. I I really enjoyed this as a. I don't care if this is a filler story. You know. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Well, good for you, James B. I am very happy to pass it by. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to include this in your special Marvel team-up uh, episode we're going to be doing. So. <laughs> it will not be in there. Eddie, before we do the last book, I think we're going to do our sponsor to break things up. Is that okay? Uh, okay, yeah. Let's get in there. All right. Eddie, do you love toys? Well, the Tinkerer has gathered three Marvel villains, I mean experts, to help design the newest line of Marvel team-up action figures. Always available monster creator Baron Ludwig von Schupp, the Mad Finger, and the Puppet Master have lent their expertise to create toys kids want to play with and collectors like Eddie want to collect. This 21st set has four figures from this classic run of books featuring the outstanding art of Greg LaRoque and Mike Esposito. The set includes, from Marvel Team Up 143, Tambi, the Elysian Tween Girl. <laughs> You can have her love Spider-Man. Just put her staring at my Spider-Man toy that I have. There you go. Okay. From Marvel Team Up 144, Tiger Claw spokesperson Wu Fong. (laughs) He can be like, hey, we really need Philip Chang to come. (laughs) Is he like beckoning with his hand? I can move his hand to beckon with. (laughs) From Marvel Team Up 145, Mark Scalati's disappointed mom. Oh, that's backlash. Mom will be so proud of me. <laughs> right. You could retell the story and make it the way you want it to turn out, but she could be proud of him. And premium figure from Marvel Team Up 142, Avengers Butler Jarvis. He was involved in a lot of combat. That's true, but hopefully he doesn't look so scared. Is he just like carrying a platter? Do we know the position of him also? It doesn't say in the copy. I'm sorry. Uh, well... Uh, four more thrilling figures for somebody out there. <laughs> well, as I said, so far we've had a couple sci-fi books, a couple Know Thyself books, and finally we have a Marvel tune-up annual at the end here, Eddie. All right. This was actually from October of 1984. Stanley presents Marvel Team-Up Annual 7. Yes, they made seven of these. 
featuring Spider-Man and Alpha Flight in The Collected Spider-Man by Louise Simonson, Paul Neary, and Sam De La Rosa. The Collector catches Spider-Man while pursuing and capturing Marina of Alpha Flight. The rest of Alpha Flight come to rescue her. There is a very long, action-packed battle between the Collector and the team of Alpha Flight, the ones that are there, uh, and they defeat the Collector. The Collector claims more to be like a Noah's Ark guy. He's suggesting to the heroes that things he collects would not do well on Earth also, so they should uh, let him recapture these (laughs) beings that he has and then send him back on his way and he'll leave Marina and Spider-Man behind. (laughs) That's basically the book. Notable moment. The book ends with a relieved black cat telling Spider-Man she didn't go looking for him in any way that would jeopardize his secret identity. Eddie, I know it was kind of a short summary, so I left you a lot of I left you a no. lot of space here to, to tell us about what happened here. James B, a Marvel team up is usually pretty wild, but like when we have an annual Marvel team up, all sorts of things can happen. We're back to dealing with cosmic beings, but let me let me explain to you why a book like this suffers. Okay, you talked about Marina uh, because she well. Uh, excuse me. We talked about Marina because she's a character that kind of confused us. We only got a partial explanation of what's going on with her. Uh, she is a Plodex. Plodexes are powerful space creatures sent from a world that had run out of resources, and the idea was to conquer the new world. So, what our inhabitants were on it, they would kill or defeat or whatever. And then, so Marina's natural demeanor is to kill whatever the dominant creature is. Uh, But her egg fell into the ocean, and she looks like an aquatic dragonfly, and she's mostly nice because some old people raised her like she was their daughter. But if she gets angry, her, like, world-destroying powers kick in. And that's what uh, Puck in this book is constantly worried about, that uh, Marina is going to fly off the handle and start doing that. That is a tiny piece of the many, many things that happened in this book (laughs) that could very well be just as confusing, too. Uh, But, you know, despite these long-winded stories that are really crammed in here, I'm saying it again, James B., Marvel Team-Ups has converted me. It's, It's writing like this that gives the main titles the opportunity to pull whatever they want they have all these options for marvel team-ups you know they could just pull one character from alpha flight or the whole alpha flight and bring it into the main title because they've seen and experimented with spider-man you know in different contexts so although once again we have far too much story and new stuff it's a marvel team-up james b you gotta love it for what it is i agree that marvel team-ups have become kind of special to me too but I'm never going to be able to get past someone has to write an entire story, including all the backstories of all the heroes and villains, wedge it into one story and conclude it. They're, they're just never going to be my cup of tea. If people want to tell us if they like or don't like Marvel Team Up, how could they reach us? You can email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. Or you could click on the show notes of this podcast and find us in Discord. Now it's time for the close. I'm James B. joined by Eddie. And remember, listeners, if you kidnap people from different galaxies and they escape on this planet, Earth's mightiest superheroes will help you recapture your prisoners. Goodbye. Goodbye.
All right, so we have a we have a couple minutes here. Let's talk about the annual one more time. Sure. In our close, we discussed how the collector says, "Hey, you need to help me recollect all the creatures that have escaped because they're dangerous to you." Was there a little hesitation from the heroes, like, hey, this is wrong? Or did they just say, sounds good, and capture all the, all the well, guys? Well, they were worried about the creatures being unleashed onto Earth, because all of them were plodaxes, as far as I could figure out, which are, of course, supposed to destroy whatever planet they're on. So they want, okay. they needed to get rid of them, and it was convenient that the Collector wanted them back. So, yeah. They, I, I, don't, and, I don't see the, uh, too much of trouble here. And Eddie... I gave you an assignment. Yes. I don't know if you didn't do it or couldn't do it. Uh-oh. Well, I had a request for you. Yes. My request is I said to you, listen, I said, when you read the annual, yeah. I said, I'm really having problems understanding one of the characters. Did you think it was Marina? I did. I thought that's what you were talking about. No, it's the tw- it's those twins. They have these oh. two twins. And one of the girls has, a, like, the Alpha Flight twin girl has, like, a split personality. Uh, that's so weird, because Marina has the split personality, I thought, because she could be evil, but then she could be good, because, you know, she's, like, based, her fundamental self is evil. Yeah, is she's some good. sort of, there's some sort of Alpha Flight girl, and she has, like, a split personality. She has, like, a different name when she's in it. It's, like, <laughs> I mean, they're Canadian names, so I don't want to, she's, like, you know, Jean Ray or something versus so-and-so, and... <laughs> I couldn't figure that story out at all, so I put in my little notes to you, like, Eddie, please straighten this out for me, because I don't... And then you went on the Plodex thing for a million years, so I'm like, I thought the Plodex thing was just like, you know, whatever. But, okay, well, it seems like you couldn't figure it out either. That's why Alpha, that's why Alpha Flight doesn't have a movie yet. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny that we got confused about two different characters that have split personalities, just, <laughs> as if we needed more things to try to figure out in this book.